Welcome back to the Sean Ash Show. Yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of the January 6th Capitol riots. In the weeks and months since, there have been all kinds of developments and stories that have emerged that have given us more insight into what happened that day. We'll talk about how this has affected the Democratic and Republican parties' strategies, the long-lasting impacts of the event, and about the January 6th committee's investigation. We'll be talking about those stories and more today, January 7th, 2022. From Anchor by Spotify, this is The Ishana Show, a podcast about the interesting and ever-changing world of American politics, all from the perspective of a 15-year-old. With me, your host, Ishan. Welcome back to the Ishana Show. Thank you so much for joining me for the first episode of 2022. Oh, you have no idea how many times I've had to re-record the part where I say the date in the opening because I would just keep saying January 7th, 2021 over and over again. I'm just one of those people that can't ever seem to add the new year to the on the end of the date line. Like I'm probably going to be one of those people that just writes 21 at the end of the date every time until like May. <laughs> um, well, anyway... Yesterday marked the first anniversary of the Capitol riots that occurred on January 6th last year. You know, I've covered this topic extensively on this show, and I will continue to do so. Um, In my view, just looking at it at that day objectively as an American, January 6th is one of those days where you you simply can't logically disagree with the notion that the riot did not leave a major mark on this country. You know, you can disagree with the impact of it. You can disagree with what happened. You can even disagree with me on who was there. I mean, I I mean, there are all kinds of theories and beliefs out there, but you cannot disagree with the fact that January 6th is a day that has fundamentally carved itself a spot in American history. And I know there are people out there that want to minimize its impact And without getting political, I just want to rebuke them and say that they're wrong. And if you're listening to the podcast right now and you are one of those people that disagree with me on this part, then I apologize. But my goal is never to ever be biased or opinionated. I I think we already have enough of that in in the mainstream media. I want to be an agent for apolitical analysis of the news cycle and all things that I cover. And one of the major things that I cover and that has occurred in modern American history are the Capitol riots. It's not as much uh, it's not as much as about the damage done physically as much as it is about the intent and the impact behind it. Now, I'm not going to get into all of that yet. (laughs) That's why we have the episode. But uh, today's episode is not about looking back at every moment in 2021 after January 6th and trying to relate it back to the riots. Instead, the goal of this episode is to observe the significance of that day and, and, and try to tie it back into what really matters from that day. Back in season one, I had a whole episode about the January 6th commission and the January 6th riots. And in that episode... I do recall asking a really important question, which was, um, which was, uh, will will there be a proper 
bipartisan or even nonpartisan in commission investigating this? Is there going to be a bipartisan slash nonpartisan effort behind this day? So that's what I want to tackle in today's episode. Let's get into it. Now, the last time I covered January 6th, the House uh, had just established this brand new committee to investigate what happened that day. I believe there are nine people on that committee. uh, And when I was covering this, there was a really big back and forth going on between House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Kevin McCarthy about who shouldn't who should and shouldn't be participating on that committee. Initially, the plan was for the speaker to put eight or nine appointees of her own and four or five in consultation with the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy. Basically, the Democratic speaker was allowed to put eight people and then the minority also got some spots on this um, on the committee and the minority leader would just advise the speaker to appoint a few people. Um, uh, so Pelosi selected seven Democrats and then Kevin McCarthy, I believe, picked five uh, Republicans, House Republicans. Nancy Pelosi was OK with three of them, but rejected two. Uh, these two representatives were Jim Jordan and Jim Banks. Both of these guys are Republican firebrands and are very popular with the Trump base. Now, Pelosi said that she rejected these two representatives because I don't remember exactly the word she used, but I do something along the lines that they were suspicious uh, and were involved with Donald Trump in the days and weeks leading up to the riot. That was Pelosi's claim. um, And that's why and that was her reasoning for not allowing those two representatives to be on the committee. Then the following day, um, Minority leader Kevin McCarthy then decided to pull all his nominations for the committee as an all five representatives and ceased any participation with the committee. After that, I guess for the sake of bipartisanship, I guess, I don't know, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi then decided to appoint Republican representatives and Trump skeptics Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney to the committee. Of these two, Liz Cheney is probably more well-known just because of how vocal she is about trying to, you know, get away from Trump as well as how vocal she is about supporting the January 6th committee, but also for the backlash she has faced from within her own party. You know, I've talked about Liz Cheney a lot on the show as well. Um, Liz Cheney is one of those representatives where she voted with Trump 93% of the time when he was in office. And, you know, she was very popular in the Republican Party. She was the House conference chair, um, which I believe is number three in the House Republican caucus. And that's a stepping stone to the speakership. So Liz Cheney had a lot going for her. But then when she started, uh, she did not embrace Trump's claim about how he the election was rigged. The Republican Party kind of shunned her out of the out of their party and 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 then and she's just since then faced a lot of backlash for not supporting the Trump claim um about about um the the election being rigged anyway since the committee's inception they've been for the most part conducting a pretty robust investigation into the events um that happened I covered at least some components of their probe during my political year in review, and I've 
posted a lot on Twitter um, about what they've been doing, but let's take a closer look at some of those components. As of the end of 2021, according to the New York Times, the committee has interviewed over 300 witnesses and has reviewed over 35,000 documents. The chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson of Mississippi, a Democrat, is suggesting that the committee would likely be able to submit a report or a review of just all the events surrounding that day as well as the day itself. Uh, They'll be able to submit that report by this year, early this year, or as late as summer. Now, let's take a look at some of the timeline of just what this committee has done. Uh, um, And I'm just going to look at the committee for uh, a lot of this episode just because a lot of what we know about January 6th has really emerged from this committee's investigation and everything that they've released. Um, That's why this committee is going to be such an important part of this episode and really just an understanding um, uh, um, and understanding just what has happened and what has led up to the to January 6th. So on July 27th, this committee held its first hearing in which four Capitol Police and D.C. Metropolitan Police officers testified about their experiences on January 6th and how they tried to stop the crowd from doing any major damage. Uh, This was a pretty big deal, I would say, because based on what I remember, the committee really wanted to have a big start. As in, they wanted everyone's attention, and they wanted to make sure that they could start their investigation in, in, in the feeling of that day. They wanted to resonate with as many Americans as they could. And the only way they could really do that, I feel, which I I think they took the right decision um, in terms of trying to resonate with people, they wanted to really tap into their emotions. And the best way to have been able to do that, I think, would have probably been to get that firsthand testimony from police officers that were uh, Capitol Police and D.C. Metropolitan Area Police that were trying to combat Uh, the rioters that were at the Capitol that day. I would say, politically speaking, this was a good move uh, on their part because the testimony of these officers really gave us some insight into that day, and it played well with a lot of the American people. Here's some of that testimony from some of those officers that day. I had been beaten unconscious and remained so for more than four minutes. I know that Jimmy helped to evacuate me from the building and drove me to MedStar Washington Hospital Center, despite suffering significant injuries himself. At the hospital, doctors told me that I had suffered a heart attack, and I was later diagnosed with a concussion, a traumatic brain injury, and post-traumatic stress disorder. I know that what my partner Jimmy and I suited up for on January 6th didn't have anything to do with political parties or about politics or what political party any of you public servants belong to. I've worked in this city for two decades and I've never cared about those things, no matter who was in office. All I've ever cared about is protecting you and the public. To the rioters, the insurrectionists, and the terrorists of that day, Democracy went on that night and still continues to exist today. Democracy is bigger than any one person and any one party. You all tried to disrupt democracy that day, and you all failed. The committee was very interested in trying to understand 
what exactly people in the Trump White House were thinking around election time as a means to understand how they were informing themselves about the plans that they could formulate in the event that Trump lost the election. Because look, Trump had made it very clear that he thought that the election was rigged um, and uh, via mail-in ballots. So the committee, I think, really wanted to investigate what the people around Trump were telling him and trying to connect that with what had happened on January 6th, the type of rhetoric that went in it, the response, and the aftermath. In order to do this, though, they subpoenaed top Trump officials like Steve Bannon, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Deputy Chief of Staff Dan Scavino, and one-time Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale. When they issued these subpoenas, I think this is when most people were like, okay, these guys do mean business. Now, I say that because until then, they weren't doing a whole lot. I mean, they were asking certain people from certain for certain documents and interviewing a few people here and there. But when they went right in for the center of the Trump administration by going after the people, um, by going after these people that really were very important to the Trump administration, they made it clear what their priorities and intentions were with the investigation. Now, it's important to understand when you're subpoenaed, you're being demanded to be to to testify by the law, not complying with the subpoena, whether it be with a congressional committee or in a court can be very bad for you and can invite legal troubles. Now, that's why when Steve Bannon did not show up for his scheduled deposition with the committee, they actually proceeded to charge um, Bannon in criminal contempt of Congress. Now, what does this mean? It's complicated, but essentially it's a mechanism that allows a congressional committee to enforce a subpoena on a person. The committee unanimously then voted to recommend the entire House to charge uh, Steve Bannon of being in criminal contempt of Congress. And when the and when the vote came to them, all House Democrats and nine House Republicans voted to hold Steve Bannon in contempt of Uh, of Congress and suggested the Department of Justice to pursue criminal charges against him. The DOJ is still looking into that, and we probably won't find out for a while about Bannon's fate. Well, we won't find out a lot about Bannon's fate in relation to the criminal contempt charges or whether or not he'll be facing actual jail time. But anyway, going into November... The committee issued a series of new subpoenas, including ones for John Eastman, a conservative lawyer and professor, Jason Miller, a Trump campaign advisor, and Michael Flynn, who was once Trump's national security advisor. The committee wanted to get a deposition from these people as in an interview, and they also wanted to barrage. They also wanted a barrage of documents from all of them to better exact, better exactly assess who were in the Trump bubble around January 6th, because people like Michael Flynn, if you might recall, were were trying to convince the president to invoke martial law across the country so that the military could then take control of uh, the election. I can't remember exactly what the theory was. It was it was outlandish. Um, I, I'm not going to shy away from saying that Michael Flynn's suggestion to the president about declaring martial law. Uh, But but 
by calling these people in for that investigation, I really think the committee wanted to see what types of people were in the Trump bubble at this time. Then on November 12th, Mark Meadows did not show up for his scheduled deposition after postponing it as well. On this day, though, Steve Bannon was actually federally indicted on two counts of contempt of Congress for not complying with the subpoenas. He would surrender to the would surrender himself to the FBI two days later. Then speaking of Mark Meadows, on November 30th, the Shana show then reported that Mark Meadows was cooperating and working with the January 6th committee. So he did not show up for his deposition, but he was still cooperating with them, and that became public. This ended up being significant just because of the person that we're talking about. Mark Meadows is a Trump loyalist beyond anyone's measure. So when he, rep- when he was reported to be working with the House January 6th committee, that in itself was a surprising fact. But beyond that, he served as chief of staff to the president. So setting aside the fact that it was odd for a Trump supporter whose support uh, reached them, that whose support reached the magnitude of Meadows is the fact that someone who worked so closely with Trump on January 6th was complying with the committee's investigation. I'm sure that delivered a pretty big shock to to Trump. And and it was probably a big win for the committee at that point anyway. Because then on Jan- or December 7th, uh, a week later, Mark Meadows then said that he was no longer interested in cooperating with the committee anymore. So for a whole week, the chief of staff, former chief of staff, was being very diplomatic with the committee and submitted all kinds of documents, which I'll get to in a minute. But then his cooperation, his heart on cooperation suddenly changed. I guess what was surprising was how abrupt it was. He was cooperating with them to everyone's surprise at that point. Then he did a complete, pulled a one, complete 180 and then went right against the committee. Then the next day, the committee said that it would pause or not pause, rather pursue criminal contempt charges like the one against Bannon. But after that, the same day, Mark Meadows sued Nancy Pelosi and the House committee. Again, it just really it was just really odd about how Mark Meadows did all of that in just a matter of seven to eight days. But anyway, The committee was not taking any of it, and they tried to make use of all the documents that Meadows submitted willingly. One of these documents was a PowerPoint, like a Microsoft Microsoft PowerPoint. Um, And this presentation was labeled Election Fraud, Foreign Interference, and Options for 6 Jan. This PPT, according to The Guardian, had ideas like declaring a national security emergency, something similar to what Michael Flynn suggested, and also had a theory that China and Venezuela were actually controlling several voting machines, and that was how the election was being rigged. Mark Meadows, on his part, claimed that it only showed up in his inbox and that he did not act on it. He did not actually open the uh, presentation. He did not agree with a lot of what they were saying when he realized what it had. But a retired army colonel 
the guy who was distributing this PowerPoint, who was also a member of the Trump campaign, actually claimed that he talked to Meadows eight to ten times about the presentation, and he had briefed him, or he had rather briefed multiple members of Congress about what the contents of this, um, about of the contents of this presentation as well. Then on December 13th, the committee voted to unanimously hold Mark Meadows in contempt of Congress for not cooperating with the committee and for not showing up for his deposition. But before that, Vice Chair Liz Cheney read aloud a series of texts that Meadows received during the Capitol riot from prominent figures in the Trump White House and in the media. Here, let's listen to Liz Cheney read some of those texts. Mr. Meadows received numerous text messages, which he has produced without any privilege claim, imploring that Mr. Trump take the specific action we all knew his duty required. These text messages leave no doubt the White House knew exactly what was happening here at the Capitol. One text Mr. Meadows received said, quote, we are under siege here at the Capitol. Another, quote, they have breached the Capitol. Dozens of texts, including from Trump administration officials, urged immediate action by the president. Quote, POTUS has to come out firmly and tell the protesters to dissipate. Someone is going to get killed. According to the records, multiple Fox News hosts knew the president needed to act immediately. They texted Mr. Meadows, quote, Mark, the president needs to tell people in the Capitol to go home. This is hurting all of us. He is destroying his legacy, Laura Ingram wrote. Please get him on TV, destroying everything you have accomplished, Brian Kilmeade texted. Quote, can he make a statement, ask people to leave the Capitol, Sean Hannity urged. Donald Trump Jr. texted again and again, urging action by the president. Quote, we need an Oval Office address. He has to lead now. It has gone too far and gotten out of hand, end quote. After that, on December 14th, the House voted 222 to 208 for a criminal referral for, of Mark Meadows, similar to the one ba- Bannon faced. Okay, so that was a look at some of the committee's work over the past six months. When we come back, I'll talk about what, some pe- what people did on the first anniversary of the riot and where I think the country is headed from here. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this short break. All right, we're back. So before the break, I was talking about the work of the January 6th committee and the progress they have made with their investigation. Well, like I said in the opening, yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of the thing that the committee is investigating. And people in Congress and in D.C. had their ways of remembering things. So early, early in the morning, President Biden and Vice President Harris went to the Capitol building to talk about their experiences from that day and to talk about their goals with voting rights. 
Democrats are trying really hard right now to introduce this massive plan to expand voting access to people across the country. And this comes in response to the dozens of laws that have been passed in Republican legislatures, which were aimed at restricting what kinds of people could vote at the ballot box. Now, their reasoning is, the Republican legislature's reasoning, that is, is that they want to prevent any type of voter fraud from happening, like any type. Uh, Many Democrats think that many minority voters and urban voters are put at some sort of disadvantage with these laws. That poses a problem for Democrats in their views, since urban voters and minority voters are a big group uh, that really help them win elections. So in response to these bills uh, that that were prompted by the 2020 election, Democrats introduced two bills that they say will make it easier to vote in uh, in, in, in federal elections and spread access to the ballot box for more people. When Kamala Harris and Joe Biden were at the Capitol yesterday in Statutory Hall, they really went in on getting these bills passed. Like, they really wanted to talk about the importance, uh, in their view, of getting these bills passed. Their speeches also included scathing indictments of Donald Trump's conduct from that day, which they claim incited the riot. Here, listen to Vice President Harris's address. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941. September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. On that day, I was not only vice president-elect, I was also a United States senator. And I was here at the Capitol that morning at a classified hearing with fellow members of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Promote the general welfare and secure blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our prosperity and posterity. That is the preamble of the Constitution that President Biden and I swore an oath to uphold and defend. And that is the enduring promise of the United States of America. I think for the most part, the VP did what she intended on doing. But she faced a little criticism for comparing January 6th to the likes of days like 9-11 and the Pearl Harbor attacks, which many people say should not be compared with January 6th. I get the point. And I think, yes, they um, the VP's team did fall a little short on on crafting the speech to get the aimed impact of that comparison just because of the magnitude and the impacts of the other two days compared to the 6th. But overall, I think Vice President Harris's speech did deliver on what she had overall intended uh, intended on delivering. Then President Biden's speech was even more critical of of former President Donald Trump. He directly blamed him for the riot. But interestingly, the president didn't actually mention Trump by name in his address. Listen to Biden's speech. The will of the people was under assault. The Constitution, our Constitution faced the gravest of threats. Outnumbered in the face of a brutal attack, 
the Capitol Police, the D.C. Metropolitan Police Department, the National Guard, and other brave law enforcement officials saved the rule of law. Our democracy held. We, the people, endured. We, the people, prevailed. He has done what no president in American history, the history of this country, has ever, ever done. He refused to accept the results of an election and the will of the American people. While some courageous men and women in the Republican Party are standing against it, trying to uphold the principle of that party, too many others are transforming that party into something else, which they close the gap in the House. They challenge none of that. The president's name was first. Then we went down the line. Governors, senators, House representatives. Somehow, those results are accurate on the same ballot. But the presidential race was flawed. And on the same ballot, the same day, cast by the same voters, I believe the power of the presidency and the purpose is to unite this nation, not divide it, to lift us up, not tear us apart. See, about us, about us, not about me. Deep in the heart of America burns a flame lit almost 250 years ago of liberty, freedom, and equality. This is not a land of kings or dictators or autocrats. We're a nation of laws, of order, not chaos, of peace, not violence. Here in America, the people rule through the ballot, and their will prevails. So let us remember, together, we're one nation under God, indivisible. That today, tomorrow, and forever at our best, we are the United States of America. Biden was praised by many people on the left and also the right for his words. But people said that he should have given the speech earlier. Um, I saw this spot from a lot of liberal pundits who were like, this is the most important speech of Biden's presidency. He should have been giving this speech a long time ago. And they also, some people on the left just criticized Biden for not mentioning Trump by name, you know, directly saying Donald Trump did this, Donald Trump did that. He didn't do that. Uh, so some liberal pundits were criticizing him for that. But overall, I think that the president's speech and the vice president's speech did deliver on what they intended on doing, and they received good praise for the most part. So I think overall, I would say they were successful at doing what they wanted to do. But uh, throughout the day, the two chambers of Congress had members recite their experiences from January 6th and reflect on what the day meant for them. The House held a moment of silence led by Nancy Pelosi, uh, the speaker. And notably, though, there were not many Republican members in attendance for the event in the House of Representatives. Liz Cheney was the only Republican participating in the House's ceremony. But she was joined by her dad, conservative at heart, very popular Republican um, vice president at the time, Dick Cheney. Uh, in a comment first reported by ABC News, Dick Cheney said about his party, quote, I'm deeply disappointed we don't have better leadership in the Republican Party to restore the Constitution. 
That's from former Vice President Dick Cheney. Meanwhile, in the Senate, a bipartisan group of senators were in Georgia to attend the funeral of the late Georgia Senator Johnny Isaacson. That's why a lot of the Senate was absent yesterday, and that's why there were also just a lot more Democrats. Now, for the record, two Republican House members, Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene, offered the Republican response to the Democrats' um, Democrats' address on January 6th outside the Capitol. So there were a few Republicans uh, in D.C. Okay, here's my take on all of this. So January 6th is an important day in American politics. It represented the real manifestation of our country's divisions and showed how unwilling both sides are to communicate with one another. I said this numerous times. The riots on 1-6 were caused by a lack of proper and consistent communication. Both sides had their narratives, and instead of coming together and trying to figure out what was going on, they went further away from each other, which only hardened the divisions in our country. There are so many aspects of January 6th that I can't cover in a half-hour-long weekly episode of this show. But really, the question does come down to this. Will we have a proper bipartisan or even nonpartisan approach to understanding that day? I asked that question six months ago. And looking at everything that's happened since, I'd say no. Politics in D.C. probably will continue to disagree about the true impact of that day. And we very likely aren't going to get a consensus. But that's just my take. You're free to make your own opinions and your own views about that day. However, I hope that at some point everyone can have a proper dialogue about that day because right now, understanding and listening to the other side is crucial to tackle the challenges that our country faces. And so that does it for us here today at the Ishana Show. If you liked my commentary, then go ahead and follow at Ishan S. Show on Twitter and at the Ishan S. Show on Instagram for breaking news posts and updates about the show. If you want to learn more about political news stories, then check out my political news blog on the Ishanashow.com. Do us a favor and share this episode and all the others with your friends and family. It's the best way for this show to grow and get more people listening to it. Thanks again for all your support, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye.